0: What is so enticing about werewolves? What minds conjured the misfits that occupy the town of Langley, Maine? And what is it about New England that's just so spooky? We have answers to these questions and more in today's bonus episode. We'll be talking to the writers behind Undertow Blood Forest just after this.
1: Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order.
0: Hi, this is Fred Greenhalgh, your host of Undertow Realms podcast, taking you under the surface and into the weird and the wicked. I'm also the creator of the werewolf-infused waking nightmare podcast we're experiencing, Blood Forest. But today we have a short reprieve from the horror of Langley, Maine, as we go behind the curtain and speak to the writing team who worked with me on this crazy podcast. We'll be learning a bit about their delightfully demented minds, talking about how to make horror work for audio, and the rich vein of real-life horrors we mined when creating this show. Enjoy the Blood Forest Writers' Roundtable, featuring story producer Marco Palmieri and writers Sean French, Emma J. Gibbon, Morgan Sylvia, Bob LeBlanc, and Crater, yours truly. And if you're like, nah, I don't want to know how any of this works, uh, just stay tuned. Next time, we'll be back with our regular journey into the Blood Forest.
2: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Realm's roundtable discussion of our new Undertow series, Blood Forest. I'm Marco Palmieri, your host for uh, the evening, and I'm here with the entire creative team of the show. Uh, Guys, please introduce yourselves. Fred, let's start with you.
0: All right. I'm Fred Greenhalgh, head of audio here at Realm, and uh, the guy weirdly obsessed with werewolves up in Maine.
3: Hi, uh, my name is Sean French. I'm a video game writer for Hyperkinetic Studios, and I dabble in comics, indie film, and obviously now audio fiction.
4: My name's Emma J. Gibbon, and I'm a horror writer who lives up in Maine.
5: My name's Bob LeBlanc. I am an actor, producer, podcast producer, writer. I uh, own and run Sleuths Mystery Entertainment, and I'm the showrunner for Balderdash Academy.
6: Hey, I'm Morgan Sylvia. I write uh, horror, fantasy, poetry, screenplays, and um, also now audio fiction stuff. I uh, also live in Maine.
2: Awesome. Well, thanks guys for uh, getting together uh, today. Uh, I hope this will be a lot of fun. Really excited to talk about this show. It's Realm's newest horror podcast. It's all about werewolves. And uh, I think I'd like to start with that, if that's okay. Um, Before we get into the nitty gritty of the story and the uh, characters and all that good stuff, I want to ask the question, why werewolves? It certainly has a long tradition in in literature and other media.
4: Yeah.
5: Well, it it also is time for it to come back. You know, it was big in the 40s with the Wolfman. There was uh, another rise of werewolf fandom when you look at uh, late 80s, early 90s with stuff like um, Werewolf the Apocalypse Uh, which is a, a tabletop and live action game. And then it kind of went away and it was replaced by zombies and vampires. And I think we've come to the point in the cultural zeitgeist where your neighbor could be the big bad guy, where we are wondering who has that inner beast within them. If you're looking for a monster that fits our modern age, there is no better creature than a werewolf, than that hidden monster that lives next door.
3: Yeah, I think there's a real appeal also to the idea of just tearing away all the human trappings of life and abandoning societal rules and expectations and insecurities and, and just running off into the wilderness to be free. Yeah. You know, the, the more stressful life becomes, the more that, that, that sort of has some appeal to it. And unlike you know, so many types of monsters just seem miserable. Vampires are always just terribly unhappy. There's no you know, there's no happy vampires. (laughs) But werewolves are having fun out there, you know, at least until the morning after.
4: I think it's perfect for audio as well. It you know, like werewolves are hard to to take seriously. It's really hard to to portray them in a way that doesn't become comic. Um, But I think audio is perfect for that, because we're not going to have the mistake of, you know, our werewolf looking like a big teddy bear, you know, running around the woods or anything. Um, So I think we're in a really great position to not only bring werewolves back, like Bob says, but but to bring it back in this in this format as well. I think it's perfect for it.
5: And a lot of that's to bring them home. Mm. Maine has a history of lycanthropy. Uh, Between Maine and... Quebec, and that weird amorphous border that happened during the colonial period, we were the epicenter of what could be considered in folklore a werewolf outbreak. You know, Salem has their witches. Well, in northern Maine, up near the Canadian border, you have werewolves. That's awesome.
6: I'm just going to throw this out there. We actually all are a werewolf pack and um, we just finally <laughs> have the opportunity to kind of come forward uh, and sort of, you know, get rid of some of these
2: misconceptions. Secrets out. We're going to have to take that out in editing.
6: Can't let anybody know. Yeah. We just decided to come out of the light or come out of the shadows.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's, we needed to break, we needed to break the silence. Um, well, and, and, and something uh, that you said, Emma, which, without being spoilery, I think is the heart of the story, and and part of what all these writers got immediately, which is that uh, you know, monster is in the eye of the beholder, and we the sort of a, the fundamental thesis of how we were treating this was like uh, the ability to turn into a another being, a, another species, a, a wolf with all these superpowers is really it's more it's more a power. It is a it is not a a curse and we kind of our our mythology of how we uh and we took a lot of different you know pieces of the of the dna from the culture but it was more about the message that we're exploring in this story is uh what is a monster and is the fact that you can turn into a wolf at night and run around and have power have like super strength actually the part that makes you a monster or is it something else
6: I would also throw in, um, kind of also echoing what something that Emma said, is there's something about the beast within and that primal inner being where, you know, if you go back through history, like eventually at some point we we all came from, you know, we we all had that animal nature. And there's also, I think, an element of just losing control of yourself um, that is fascinating that can be explored in so many and has been explored in many ways, but there's, Something to these characters, where you know they're they're tapping into something very primal within them, and I think that's something that is just kind of an eternal thing with humans, um and I think that's part of why this particular uh, mythology has such longevity in our culture,
0: not to mention they're just cool, man. I mean. <laughs> Uh, Bob, you'd mentioned the eighties and nineties uh werewolf inspirations. You reminded me that uh nineteen ninety-five, we just googled it, Gabriel Knight, The Beast Within, a Sierra adventure game. Yeah. Like those and again we have a video game writer here within Sean, like those were such great narratives. Um, back when Sierra was in the in the heyday. Um and that was just an excellent gothic werewolf horror horror video game. So that's all. <laughs> uh, but there was a scene in that where you got to become a werewolf. And so that, I think there's still that, like the, the probably parts of that and in, did influence blood forest of like, what does it actually feel like to be a werewolf? Like you got to be one in that game in a certain part. So that probably does when I, when we start thinking about the, the sound part of it of like, what is it like? Yeah. How do you hear differently, et cetera? So,
3: yeah. Yeah. And Emma actually hit on one of the big things I think too um, in, in, why a werewolf story is so perfect for audio because i've worked on a lot of like independent films and i mostly play monsters for obvious reasons um (laughs) and there's there's a a feeling that you never want to have that happens sometimes where you get on set and you've realized the monster isn't going to work yeah you realize it just doesn't play on camera or it's going to look unintentionally funny or there's just It's a bad feeling, and it's a very common thing, and it's such a huge risk with werewolves trying to get the transformation right. I mean, even the werewolf movies that I love butcher the transformation scene. You know, it's it's been done great like twice. (laughs) You know, it's it's a very hard thing to do visually.
5: (laughs) Audio when it came to writing for the werewolf was also a gift. We didn't have to worry about what the special effect budget was. We didn't have to worry about what the creature looked like. Are we going to go um, white wolf style, werewolf, wolf head? Are we going to do a hybrid? Are we going to do... We can leave that to Hitchcock. We can show enough through description and sound so that the makeup's always perfect. It's always what the audience wants. It's always what they see in their mind's eye. It is an amazing gift to write within this medium creatures that you couldn't practically bring
3: to stage easily no i mean you try to you you know especially if you get into more than one creature now i mean there's there's a reason the werewolf movies tend to have one or maybe two because trying more than that is is madness but yeah you know we, we have a little more room to play
0: yeah, we wrote we wrote a whole like four hundred year history of this. Time. Yeah, <laughs> like two days and a month online. Yeah.
2: <laughs> well, let's so let's talk about uh, Blood Forest uh, specifically. Um, you know, it's got a rich cast of pretty messed up small town characters, especially the two leads, Frank and Eva. So, what inspired the decision to focus on a Marine with PTSD and a vision impaired teenager? uh
0: if i can't i think again like why is this the perfect group of writers i think everyone well first off everybody here lives in maine lives in a small town like less is made up than some people may want to believe um of this yeah. world but also <laughs> like um you know and i think just it's really interesting when it I mean, I think it's kind of on on some level, like the long legacy of stephen king of of the kind of horror where it's like take a conceit and put in some relatable characters and shake it up and see what happens. And the horror is is just, you know, it's ordinary people in an extraordinary situation. Um But I also I, like again, going Emma back to like when you said uh, the thing that was the, was the reveal we're not revealing. But there were certain things about Eva in particular that, um, you were both sort of probing questions early on, but then became exciting. So I, I kind of, I felt like you did really seem to connect with Eva early on. I'd love to hear your take on that question.
4: I th- I think what what I was really interested in, and, and it's going to be really hard not to give anything away, but I'll try. Cut this out, Fred. If I think what, it, what I'm really interested in, in portraying are women, women that you usually don't see. Uh, in, in media, uh, in stories, um, that are given power and are not squashed down. So, quite often, when you see teen girls, especially teen girls who who are maybe are visually impaired or. Whenever you see portrayals of them in in, in movies or, or in in stories, they're, they're not allowed to have much power. Like if you think about the craft with Nancy, uh, she gets all this witch power and then they squash it. She has to be bound. They have to stop her. There's all this side. There's this idea that a teenage girl can't have power because she'll go crazy with it. She'll run wild. You have to bring her back in. She has to be the good girl. I'm not really interested in writing characters like that. Uh, so for me, for Eva, it was like, I want to, it's going to be a girl who's got it rough, but it's going to be a badass anyway. And um, she's someone who's going to be a full character that's not a person who we're giving power to so we can take it away. It's just so we can let it run with our life, if that makes sense.
0: Mm. Uh, and if I can picture to you, Morgan, I actually think it was you Frank was originally written as a cop and you had the idea to make him a veteran and I think you also told me you know you had talked to other like if if it's not inappropriate to say like a a marine that you knew to sort of get some more background so I think th- I think that part of of Frank was from you so I would I'd love to hear your take on on Frank.
6: I can't recall if it was uh I think it was probably more of an instinctive feeling. Um, I just felt like we'd seen a lot of ex-cops, and um, part of the situation, um, it just—I kind of felt like this guy maybe had like a different kind of weight on him, um, and just some some kind of trauma that was following him. Frank is a very broken character, and um, just especially with like you know Maine, I can see it appealing to somebody who just kind of really wanted to get away and kind of maybe go into like maybe a little bit of kind of mini survival mode. Um, I don't think this is a spoiler, but cut it if it is. The original thought was for, you know, Frank and Rainy. their plan was to come up here and kind of get into like the wildlife and, you know, hunting and fishing and stuff like that. And I could just sort of see those, those skills and that mindset and also the hunter mindset Um it's a different type, I think, of skill set, and I just I sort of felt like I don't I don't know I just felt like that would maybe fit the character and also just give him a different kind of depth than what we've seen before, and that would be a very much a play against Eva, who has her own strengths, um, but they're very different than Frank's, as you as you see that kind of evolve throughout the story.
4: It, I think I think Sean really hit something on the head with Frank about you know about being a werewolf is fun. Uh, you get to run around in the woods all night, but then you, when you wake up in the morning, and and isn't that Frank all over in various aspects of his character? Like he lets loose at night in many different ways uh, because of you know his, his you know his PTSD and his, things like he that. Likes his, his he drinks his, his alcohol, yeah.
3: yeah,
4: and so he does that too.
3: Yeah, I, I kind of connected with Frank. Um, I uh, my father in law lives with us, and he was a Vietnam vet. And uh, I work from home, my wife doesn't, so I'm his primary kind of, you know, day-to-day helper and stuff. And so I live with PTSD up close every day. And uh, I definitely was able to lean on my experience there uh, with Frank and Marie both um, a lot. A lot of stuff I'm, you know, kind of pulling from, you know, real experiences and things that I've seen in the the kind of day-to-day life of of living with some of those struggles.
5: I I really connected writing for Eva. So, I mean, I grew up as a gifted kid with disabilities, learning disabilities. And what really impressed me about how Eva was coming along was that so often we see characters in media that let their, not even disability, but let whatever bad hand they were given define who they are. So they become a character of unmet potential rather than a real fleshed-out person with strengths and abilities and weaknesses that they've managed to find a way to deal with and to to manage for their entire life. And uh, I, I really saw an opportunity in Eva to show that if you're dealt a bad hand, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's who you are. I mean, you're the kid who can't see well, you know, you're the kid who's legally blind. That's not really how life works, you know, that is an aspect of you, but it does not define you. That's the way I deal with my ADHD. Um, you, you find a way to find the benefits within the disorder, and you f- find a way to manipulate it to your advantage. And I, I saw a lot of that parallel with Eva.
6: I just agree. I think that's one of the really special things about Eva's character is that you see her her weaknesses turning into her strengths over the the course of the story.
3: Yeah, and as a, a former, you know, a uh, fellow former bullet kid. Uh, who got into martial arts to kind of find their own power, her journey kind of speaks to me on that front, too.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, I was going to say, and I think this ties into a, another question you may be thinking of asking, Marco, is that, um, so we had an amazing consultant in the writer's room with us, Elsa. I think it's Sh- is how you say your last name? Um, Elsa was amazing. Uh, and I think uh, this is this is the part that is really, you have to be really careful about in audio, because I think because there's no visual component. The number of shows that have like some pitch and the characters blind is like pretty deeply problematic. And, and there, I mean, it's problematic in lots of media, but it's like sort of, especially in audio where uh, characters with uh, vision disabilities are just sort of like thrown in as a, as a plot device. And um, that's not who Eva is. It is, as I said, it's like, it, it kind of just is an organic part of her character and it's, uh, you know, and she just sort of is doing her thing, and it and it's far from the only like thing that makes her othered in this community. Like, she also lost her parents young. You know, she she's caring for this grandmother. She's from uh, French Canadian, which is not the dominant culture in the town. Um, so these are all just things of like complex characters who are dealing with real stuff. And yeah, we we uh, you know, I'm sure we didn't do everything perfectly, but we put a, quite a lot of thought into giving her her own complete story. Hi there, if you're a fan of Undertow, I know you love immersive entertainment, and let's be real, as much as we all love podcasts, nothing is quite the same as going out to see a movie in the theater, the experience of being with friends, getting your popcorn, and the sheer impact of the visual and sound experience exactly as the filmmakers intended. If you crave that experience, then Regal Unlimited just makes sense. Regal Unlimited is the all-you-can-watch movie subscription pass that pays for itself in just two visits. See any 2D movie anytime with no blackout dates or restrictions. And when you want to watch a movie in a premium format like 4DX, IMAX, RPX, or ScreenX, your Regal Unlimited membership gets you into those premium experiences at reduced cost. And you'll save not just on tickets, you save on snacks with 10% off all non-alcoholic concession items. So if you're planning to see just two movies this month, you need to join Regal Unlimited. Sign up now in the Regal app or on rigmovies.com. That's R-E-G-Movies.com slash Unlimited. RegMovies.com slash Unlimited. Sign up for Regal Unlimited using code UNDERTOW24 and earn 10% off a three-month subscription. Regal Unlimited, the all-you-can-watch movie subscription, pays yourself in just two visits. Sign up now. Code UNDERTOW24. Do you ever wonder who's looking over your shoulder when you're exploring the web? Do you want to keep tracking cookies, curious websites, and your internet service provider from sniffing out too much about your browsing activity? What about gaining the ability to virtually travel to different parts of the world and reshape your internet experience? Well, enter NordVPN. NordVPN protects your internet privacy and lets you go borderless. You can experience sporting events and entertainment that aren't available in your region. When you're on the go, NordVPN protects your data while accessing public Wi-Fi, and in tandem with the Nord Threat Protection Service, protects you from malicious downloads, viruses, and phishing sites. Best of all, this protection is laser-fast, so avoid buffering and lagging while streaming or gaming, and stop your ISP from bandwidth throttling. If you've never used a VPN before, you may be surprised how much your internet experience is shaped by what country of origin you're believed to be from. I've actually had quite a bit of fun using NordVPN as a learning tool with my kids. We change around our virtual location, go to different countries, revisit familiar websites from a new country of origin and see how things are different. For the cost of a cup of coffee a month, your NordVPN account can be used on up to six devices. So why wait? Get the best discount off your NordVPN plan by going to nordvpn.com slash undertow. Our link will also give you four extra months on the two-year plan. And there's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. That's nordvpn.com slash undertow.
1: You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working,
2: All right, so, so you guys ta- touched a little bit about uh, Maine. So, so why is it that horror stories set in Maine work so well? I mean, is it just because Stephen King has gotten us used to the idea that all sorts of crazy shit can happen in one state? Or what is it about Maine that just lends itself to horror?
5: So Maine is the least populated state in New England. It's the only state in the Union only bordered by one other state. We are isolated from the rest of the country for a reason. There's not a lot of people up here, but there is a distinct prejudice within the people that are. Where are your ancestors from plays a lot of where you used to fit into society in Maine. Were you Québécois? Were you French? Um, Parisian? Did you come over after the revolution? Were you native? Were you English? Were you Scot? Were you Irish? Like that mattered more uh, than I think than people realize. Where in the state are you from? Are you from a mill town? Are you coastal? I mean, we have lobstermen, mountains, forests. We even have a desert, if you believe the marketing. Um, It is its own microcosm without a lot of people. There's a lot of tract of nothing in the middle of the state. So... It's the perfect setting for horror. And some of us still grew up with those fairy tales. Um, we have the Kauakwa, we have uh, which is similar to Wendigo, think of like a an angry cannibalistic Bigfoot, right? We have um Fey Legends in the west-south, down around um Berkshires, uh, uh, Berwick, Maine, rather, down around uh, Sand, uh, well, where I'm from, Buxton, Standish has them. Buxton in and of itself could be its own setting. There's a lot of, a lot of Buxton and Langley. (laughs) So (laughs) it is remote and that remoteness and extreme views and old fashioned views, it kind of lends itself to horror. It's creepy, Bob.
4: Though that's yeah. what it's just creepy. It's naturally creepy. It really is. <laughs>
6: <laughs> I live kind of in a obviously um, in a remote area as well. And I remember I was I was gone for twenty years, and I came back. And coming back was kind of like coming into a whole new universe again. And I remember this one night, my first winter back, I was driving home, and it was really, really, really foggy that night. And where I live, there are coy wolves. And as I pulled up to the house, I couldn't see more than 10 feet away from where I was, but I could hear them. And I just remember thinking that night, okay, this is the kind of night where Stephen King comes up with the mist. Um, There's a lot to be said for just looking into these forests and all these little twists and turns and you just don't know what's out there, just out of view. And it it is very remote, very wooded. Um, And there's just kind of like a pragmatism here, I think, like between the winters and um, like the cold can kill you. Um, make no joke. If you are stuck in the middle of nowhere and your car breaks down on a blizzard, uh, you are in a life-threatening situation. So there's always kind of a little, I think, awareness of you know Mother Nature um, and the unknown and the unseen. Um, interesting. We don't really have any big natural predators, um, but there's a lot of just like untouched wilderness, and it's like you can sort of tell there are just stories here you know that that speak to us i think all of us differently maybe but there's a lot of a lot of nooks and crannies that are very interesting in this state too the
5: the environment itself it's definitely we've all been there in the position where it was a hot april morning there was snow on the ground when we went to bed you know it might have been 30 the night before it's 60 that morning and the snow goes from a solid to a gas it does not hit I mean, it sublimates. I've seen fog so thick in Maine that you couldn't see the front of your car while you were driving it. Like that's not uncommon.
0: <laughs> You're reminding me of uh, both of you of uh, the house I grew up in, and this is just as just as a sort of a state of facts of like what a you know normal upbringing in Maine is like. Uh, yeah, like you know, two hundred year old farmhouse is not an uncommon place to live. Um, that place is going to creak and moan in the winter wind and um this was in Down East Maine so it, fog was a fairly omnipresent set decoration and uh we had this like huge oak tree that uh was had grown large too close to the house and this was a uh, you know before weatherization was a thing people thought about so it had like those single pa- pa- pane glass windows that in modern homes that are you know properly insulated you don't get this but like on a good cold winter night, you know, I'm from my bedroom. It's like the whole house is moaning and groaning, and you get this like, like the moon behind a tree, you know, looming over you, like tick, 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 yeah. tick, 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 tick <laughs> and that's just, and then, and then you have an older brother who tells you ghost stories, and then you're, just, then you end up like Maine.
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've lived in a lot of places, and and Maine is uniquely strange. You know, it's like it's dark at four p.m. You're snowed in all winter. Everybody's all stir crazy. You've got like hundreds of miles of uncharted wilderness. There's like whole sections of the state that are that are technically unorganized territory that don't even have a local government. It's just madness. Even aside from Stephen King, Maine is just a verifiable freak show
0: well and and you have these characters and a lot of them you, you do see in blood force where who, who are a little bit hard to pin down of someone who is like a libertarian nut job on the edge of town with like razor wire over all their burnt out cars and a bunch of guns but who like will legitimately save your life if you're found on a dark road at late at night and the person who might actually kill you is the person who lives in the nice house in town who wears a nice suit to church on sunday and maine (laughs) is both those things yeah
4: yeah and it's also the fisher how screaming in the woods just randomly like just an animal that screams like some a woman being murdered randomly in the night for no reason
5: (laughs) and fox do the same thing and (laughs) lynx do the same thing most of the cool animals in Maine scream. He meant you. Or they yeah. make ghost calls like loons. It's, uh, yeah, you know, it's a spooky place. I mean, we've all had been in one situation. Like for me, it was going out and getting wood for the furnace. You know, if we didn't do our chores before the the sunset, then we were going to load up the wood stove at night. You're walking out to the far back of your property to load in um, logs onto your sled to drag it across. All you can think about is what's in the woods.
6: So when I was little, my grandmother's sister told me this story about there being like wells in the forest and that i could like just walk and fall into a hole walking over leaves and i was really scared walking around in the place in the little woods behind my house i would always be afraid that like the woods would eat me and i'd fall down this hole um so that's like the kind of thing that you you grow up with around here um i never did fall down a well but um yeah i was paranoid about that for a long time Yeah,
5: <laughs> you know we also Grew up with the legends of the intense cruelty of man, especially in Maine. You hear about um, what the colonists did to the natives when they arrived. How uh, there's a legend down there where I grew up about one of the colonists grabbing a native child and throwing it into the Saco River to see if it would swim. These are not uncommon. Stories that we we were told in school about literally the the place
3: right behind where you're going. Yeah, the, the Sakura River, where we used to go swimming as a kid. That that was the legend. Is that the river claims claims a child every
0: year as retaliation yeah. for that? Was, yeah. So, and that's just like yeah, okay, let's go. And now we're gonna go back to school. <laughs> yeah, this, this will be fine. Nothing, nothing to worry about, children.
2: So as the. Native New Yorker in the room. You, you guys are freaking me out. All right. <laughs> <laughs> now
0: know people, but it's totally fine. People come here and they're from a city. Like, like I'm worried about this. Yeah. It's so dark. No, you're, you're actually, you're fine. The wood's yeah. not going yeah. to kill you. It's actually fine.
4: So um. here's the thing. So where, where I'm from originally is Yorkshire. So and the American Wealth in London. You know, the scene where they're like, keep to the path. And there's that pub. I'm from there. <laughs> That's where I originally am from. So when I say, "Oh yeah, Maine's pretty creepy," <laughs> you know, the,
3: you know the level I'm talking.
5: That's fabulous. That's fabulous. So Marco, it could also be a cultural reflex or reaction to the fact that we don't have any more large predators. We don't have natural disasters, really.
2: But much of your much of the folk stories you you, you describe uh, uh, you know depict large predators like like the uh, the, the cannibalistic Bigfoot you mentioned earlier yeah. yeah
5: well and before the Europeans arrived there were you know the, there were wolves in Maine there were mountain lions there were I mean black bears aren't really ever an issue there were not brown bears in Maine but um, there used to be and a lot of the legends that we grow up with living within the state culturally and uh just some that really are passed down by family to family are memories of that time That it wasn't a long time ago you know maine goes back what 400 years of european settlement i mean that's old for the rest of the country emma is that old
4: That's really not old. (laughs) Was I pulling my face like, that's not old? Well, that's the thing is that
5: (laughs) in the grand scheme of of human generations, that's not a long time ago. And Maine itself has changed since then. There was a time where most of southern Maine was clear-cut and resembled closer to Ireland and Scotland than it does Maine today. We live in a second-growth forest. But that's also, I, I think... What makes Maine special is it has a very rich storyteller tradition. Maine humorists are a thing. Because it's so damn cold and the winter is long. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do
4: when you're stuck inside all winter? <laughs> yeah,
5: but it, it's something that I don't see celebrated in a lot of other places.
3: Right. And that was one of the fun things. in, in When we first started breaking down the story... Uh, my goal was to tie everything into actual main history. Yeah. That the more the more we don't the the, the less of the backstory we have to invent whole cloth, the better was kind of my thinking. Mm-hmm. So I, the first thing I did was start looking through state history for kind of werewolf adjacent events that might like match up in interesting ways. And one of the first things I found is that the uh, the main silver rush, which was like uh, seven eighteen seventy eight to eighty two happened during the same period that the wolves were uh, extirpated from Maine. Yeah. Um, And that's a really interesting coincidence from a storytelling standpoint. When I saw that those two things matched up, that newspapers in in Maine in the 1850s are full of stories of people being attacked by wolves. And by 1890, you know, eight years after the Silver Rush, you have letters to the editor from people who are denying that wolves ever lived in Maine. Yeah. So something happened there, you know, and that seems like a— a really interesting spot and then once you're like okay we match those up so where were the silver mines would it make sense to be one in area like langley so you start pulling up geographic geological maps and and you find you're like yes and you're like okay now now you've got this real story element there that you can kind of build on and and that's all anchored in real history
5: and that tied in i mean even werewolves themselves um we found that there were quebec werewolf sightings, there was a big mass hysteria within Quebec about werewolves, which historians think it might have come directly over from the Beast of uh, Gavidon. I have a French last name, but I don't speak French. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The werewolf mass hysteria that happened in France, and some of those people in the folklore came over to Quebec, and that's where it grew, and it eventually made its way down into Maine. So when you start taking a look at all of these pieces, And how all of these historical elements play into each other and build on each other. There's a lot of real history behind Langley. Um, Even the the whole region.
0: Yeah, and I'm bummed that Morgan's internet is not cooperating because she pulled some wonderfully ancient tomes of werewolf text um and 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 we we talked a little bit about the mythology but like we kind of went deep and one of the one of the things um i think it was she that discovered was like how there's sort of this common ancestor between vampirism witches and werewolves which all sort of come from this like discomfort around women who could not be controlled and so suddenly weird legends start to surround them um, yeah. and terrible things happen to them in these mm. patriarchal towns. But that all that whole journey of those like legends, which are you know, European legends from like 1400 or older and how they end up in a town in, in
2: Maine in the 2022 is a pretty fascinating journey.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, and to all of you out there, thanks for listening to the show and uh, stick around for future episodes of Blood Forest. The best is yet to come.
0: And those were the writers behind Undertow Blood Forest. Hope you enjoyed learning a little bit about how this crazy show was made. And stay tuned next time for our next installment as we walk deeper into the blood forest. Today's bonus episode was edited by Corey Barton and produced by Marco Palmieri, Nicole Otto, and Rhoda Beleza. Undertow is produced by Mary Azadolahi and Haley Weigreich. Associate produced by Nicole Kreuter and Alexis Slatshaw. Executive produced by Fred Greenhold, Molly Barton, and Marcy Wiseman. Undertow theme by Hubert Campbell. Cover art by Kendall Thomas. Find more shows like Undertow by following Realm on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or at realm.fm.